Welcome to Conversations About Life, and my name is Will Jackson, and I had the privilege of talking with Bob Sturgis, and Bob and his wife Chrissy um, are founders of an organization called A Seat at the Table, and the mission of A Seat at the Table is to help underparented 18 to 25-year-olds better transition into adulthood. And this is a uh, residential mentoring program. So they put a young person uh, with a family. And um, it seems like a a really neat uh, concept and organization. And they provide a lot of uh, support for a family that might want to get, get involved. And um, Bob was Bob's excited about this, and, um, and I can see why. And I think it was really neat. And Bob himself was... a uh, it was just a, a pleasure to talk with him and learn more about him as a, as a person. So I hope you enjoy this. Well, Bob, thanks for taking the time to be here with me and uh, just really been looking forward to this. And um, I think your your ministry, is, this a seat at the table, is really interesting. It, you caught my attention at the St. Louis uh, Leadership Networking Group when you spoke just briefly introducing it, and it, and I, I knew right then that I'd like to talk with you more about the um, ministry as well as just you, the founder and director of it. Um, so maybe we could just start there, um, and uh, could you tell us just a little bit more of just the the central idea of a seat at the table? Sure, thanks, Will. And great to meet you as well. And I, uh, years ago, both my wife and I, the one thing most we were most blessed with was great families of origin. And while we have both been very active in ministry of youth ministry and, and the like over our, our 38 years of marriage, it's apparent that not everybody has that same blessing. And in particular, when people are from under-resourced areas, uh, such as urban centers, if you look at the even the national statistics, and we know them locally to be the same, there's a huge uh, amount of fatherlessness and our single-parent homes combined with the under-resourced economic disadvantages sometimes. It's really tough for kids to make it out to thriving adulthood. And so one of the things we've done while we have taken in uh, five young men for periods of three to ten years each to live with our four sons by birth, what we're trying to do with seat at the table is equip, motivate, and equip others to do the same, even at one young person at a time. So, yeah. and and the, the whole point of seat at the table implies people are welcome, even if it's not part of they're not part of the family. When you invite people over, one of the things again common to our upbringing or upbringing were those family dinners, and there's so many who don't have that. We didn't realize how many hadn't. So when we invite kids in and we actually have family meals and we get to discuss life and encourage each other, that we noticed that was so rare and I, we didn't realize it. And so that's why we call it a seat at the table. We want people to be encouraged, to be welcomed from all backgrounds who don't necessarily look like us. So we're being very intentional to try and reach across racial and economic divides. Uh, you know, we're unfortunately St. Louis is known for a city that, that has a tough time in those issues. And so we're deliberately going at that, but that's not the main criteria. It's mainly people who lack a family and the resources to get to thriving adulthood. So how are people, young people chosen to get to 
be mentored, okay. be a part of the family. While in the past, they just happened to be people in our lives that God just kind of placed there. Because we've done some ministry, particularly in North St. Louis, and we happen to have a very good relationship. In fact, he's one of our board members with a pastor in East St. Louis. We're really starting with the organizations and the people who God's already put in our life. And those happen to be two pastors, one in North St. Louis, one in East St. Louis, and then three organizations who all work with young people up to age 18, and they know firsthand have shared, and we've been vicariously alongside them, and we know what happens that, unfortunately, after, even after people pour into them, mentor them up to age 18, age 20, age 22, you sometimes hear some very tragic tales because there are no more resources after that. So we are specifically starting with what God gave us. That's the relationship with these five organizations, Angels Arms, uh, Urban K-Life, Live for Life Gym, the Tabernacle Church in North St. Louis, and uh, Living the Word Church Fellowship in East St. Louis. We're starting with those five. There are others who are already talking to us, and we'll probably expand that. But we're going to start with what God naturally gave us organically already is very natural. They know the kind of kids we're looking for, what the criteria is in terms of they're great kids. They just need help getting across the goal line because of the lack of resources and maybe a stable family. So we'll start there. They're nominated and we're selected, and they have to understand what the program is all about and um, and be willing and wanting to move forward to adulthood. Um, so we're going to put around them, though, educational, vocational, job skill, life skill, counseling, and spiritual development resources to help them be a thriving adult on their own someday. So um, what's the situation like now? Like, is there a waiting list? or Here's, It's going out to find willing hearts ready to host them. We will never run out of nominated and well-nominated kids who, mm-hmm. who would be great. To, our challenge is to find the host parents, either an existing home, which is probably where most of the young people will be placed one at a time into an existing home. On a, a, probably an adjunct to the growth part of this, so a seat at the table as a nonprofit, is to raise the funds so that Chrissy and I can pilot the first time going into an apartment building that the organization would own. And there... We would never be constrained by the um, most municipal codes will not allow you to have more than one non-family member living in your home. So by going to an apartment building, now we're talking adults, 18 to 25, and we could have whatever the apartment complex would fit. We're looking at typically a two-story, four-apartment unit, and the two upstairs ones would maybe fit two young people, same sex, uh, per building. And Chrissy and I would be on the first floor, and then the fourth unit across on the first floor would be our proverbial seat at the table, where we do those family dinners. We do mentoring. We do Bible studies. We do financial acumen classes. We teach them everything from how to open a checking account and manage money and do vocation, do uh, mentoring, do educational tutoring, do whatever we need to to help them grow. That a family normally would, particularly if there were two parents there. So many of these kids at best, have one, only one parent. And and even if that typically mom is still around, to make ends meet, she's probably working two jobs. And so they don't have what a lot of us grew up with. Right. Um, so if like a, a family was wanting to be involved in the mentoring, how what does your interaction with that family look like? It's extensive, particularly. Uh, a lot of it is in the I would call it the interviewing and the qualification process and, and just hearing their heart, them hearing our heart, getting a sense that they really are ready for this because there will probably be, so there might be, I don't know for sure, but cultural 
and economic differences that we're going to spend some great amount of resources and time trying to help to get them ready. And again, Chrissy and I, I come from a teaching background and a family of educators. Chrissy has been an associate pastor. She's been uh, pastoring for, say, 19 years or so. So we're kind of wired to do that, but the next family may not be. So, And, and we've also been more in culturally diverse settings, whereas, again, another family may not be. So we are lining up some people who help train along cultural competency, um, systemic racism, implicit bias, and help people understand so that they're better listeners rather than fixers, mm-hmm. which is probably we're going to have a, an issue. That's that's a typical um, an issue. And even for us, it was, oh, we, we know what you need and we'll just fix it for you. And one of the things we've learned in 19 years of doing this organically on our own is what that person most needs is somebody who listen hmm. rather than just try and fix them. Right. And then during the process of the mentoring, are you um, – like walking with the family. Um, Absolutely. Okay. And, and as I say it, we, Chrissy and I, we're the 3 a.m. in the morning call. Now, we'll have other professionals, literally people who run consultancies, and uh, Amy Narishkin is one of them that um, who's very much on board with us, and she provides uh, her organization, Empowering Partners, helps provide a lot of this cultural um, diversity kind of training so that people – and again, not – that may not even be an issue for some parents, we, we, uh, but that's certainly, and just even having a stranger in your home, that's an issue. So there are a lot of things to talk through ahead of time. We envision anywhere from at least a six session preparatory uh, type of situation to get them ready. And at the at the end of which they could say, wow, now knowing all that, we may not be ready for this, but I'd rather hear that then than just place the kid and then six months later or a, or a year later find out it's not a good match. So we want to prepare the host parents, and that's really where a lot of our work is. Mm-hmm. It, it's not so much the kids. The kids we've taken in were ready, willing, and able to be parented, uh, even at some of their advanced stages. Um, it's preparing the host families, and we, we, we want to just equip them for success. And so if nothing else, we can share our mistakes and our learnings over 19 years. Mm-hmm. Does the host family need to have a particular type of lifestyle? Like, does do they need to have at least somebody who's like a non-working type of at-home person? Or that's a that's a great question, and we'll probably have to judge that uh, based on maturity of the young person going in there, as well as the rest of their family dynamic. What we wouldn't want to probably do is leave the younger adult if they have small kids in there and uh, babysitters or things like that. So again, on a case by case basis, but yeah, that would be great if we, if we could, that would be ideal. But that is, you know, in, in terms of this, there are other programs out there sometimes where it's just a residential mentor, a single person is living there. What we're trying to instill our central thing is family. So we need a married Christian couple is our, as a starting point. And then we'll work out things like job situations and, and the like. But keep in mind, the young person's going to be hopefully, well, they, they need to be either in school or working. So it's not like they're going to be around the house a whole lot on their own. And if they're trying to get into thriving adulthood, they've got a lot of work to do, either, right. again, at a vocation or a school or wherever. Yeah. Well, I've been impressed by just um, the professional way you're going about this, you know, just judging by hearing you and by the website and just your involvement of bringing a lot of other people together and so forth. That's a central tenet in this respect. I long time, someone much smarter than myself said, none of us are as smart as all of us. 
So one of our central tenets is to, and principles is to surround ourselves with as many smart people as we can and have good godly counsel, both on the front end from the organizations we will take the kids from, and they've got learnings with these young people that we can learn from. And then on the back end, those resource providers, the, the tutors, the uh, apprentice programs that we might be able to get them into, the counselors. And counseling is a big part of it. Think of it. Um, most of these young people, at least the, like one of the common denominators for the five we took in had either the absence of a father or was not a good situation with the father, one reason or another. Um, so there's some trauma typically. There's a sense, sometimes a, um, sense of abandonment. And so we're, we've, we've got to have these good professional counselors around us to help these young people fully develop. So, um, how are those people, um, those young people doing now that, has been through your mentoring? Great question. And and I, the five that we've taken in literally are now well into, uh, some of them are into their mid to mid thirties. So we go back, like say 19 years, um, they are all doing phenomenal. And, and again, it's not necessarily a credit to us. It's just the fact that God had a good design when he said a family should look like this. And, and it's amazing. It works. And as much credit, actually, not so much Chrissy and myself, it's our four boys who were there who had to share their bedrooms and share their lives. And, with you know, they're the ones who probably put the added element of real family around them. It wasn't just a set of mentoring parents. It was a brother now that they maybe never had. And, and they still do. And so the trajectory of those five young people, I think, as anybody would say, is fundamentally different. And the neat part is they've been in our church communities and there are people from our churches that, you know, we've been at who all know these young people and there it's not just us. We're trying to put a healthy community around them where maybe they didn't have before. Um, has there anything been anything in your, your background that has um, helped you with this um, skill and organizing and, and just bringing this all together? And absolutely. And, and it is the, um, when it is the blessing that we received, you know, some people are born into, uh, maybe great financial situations and great, you know, resources in that respect, the resource we were given and it was a God given, we can, we didn't choose our parents, but my gosh, we were, we were given great sets of parents. My, my dad was an elementary school principal. He was in education for 33 years. My uncle was the same in 36, my sister, my brother-in-law, um, all were educators. So they all poured their lives into young people. And, and I got to see that every day. And my dad was particularly good at, um, loving where maybe the unlovable, the, the, the ruffian, the, the, the outcast, the kid that, you know, wasn't popular and that nobody else loved. He did a great job of that. And I remember at his funeral, for instance, there were big strapping, hulking guys, you know, adults who, who were in tears because somewhere along the line, my dad reached into their life and, and turned their life for the better because he loved them at a time, maybe when nobody else was doing it. Um, so that's the example I grew up with. And he was just a quiet, strong, strong guy. And same for my wife, her mom and dad raised eight kids of their own. You know, they have 30 some odd grandkids, even at that with eight kids. And, and I'm like, they took in, in the um, midst of the Iranian hostage crisis in 1980, uh, when Iranians and people from that area were being harassed, maybe on a college campus here in town, they took in two young guys to live with eight kids. Now, you know, again, that's a, a spirit of hospitality that is not, not normal, but it was a blatant, you know, it's, I call it a blinding glimpse of the obvious. 
we, we were given unique examples uh, of what a, an author today coined radically ordinary hospitality. And, and I, both of our families were like that. And so it's what we need to pass along. Yeah, that's neat. Um, yeah. yeah, what a legacy good, loving, uh, wise parents can yeah. leave and just what a difference it can Yeah, and so make. if we do the same for the next five or the next five after that, it, it, granted, it's not mass numbers, but these lives are deeper. The, the, the relationships are deeper. You know, you can look at the effect of our parents on Chrissy and me for 30 years of our marriage. It has resolved, revolved around growing and mentoring young people. And we do it not just with our immediate four sons and the five we've taken in. We've both been in youth ministry for most of our married life. So uh, it's just what we are called to do. So, so how did you get started in your own uh, Christian faith? Very good. Uh, I, um, like a lot of people, I may have grown up in a church, um, and but I, uh, it, this is really a story of I call it. I look back at God wooing me and not settling for just it being in church. Uh, and I look back, He wanted me in Christ. He wanted me in Him, not just in a church. And so I didn't necessarily figure that all out. But literally by seventh grade, even growing up in a denominational, going to a denominational school, um. I sense there was more to it than just this religion, this rote prayers and memorization and of um, stand up, sit down, kneel this time. And I just sense I saw and I saw pomp and circumstance when I saw Jesus. I saw not I didn't see pomp and circumstance. I saw teaching on hillside. I saw him talking to tax collectors and sinners and and being very real and, and personal. And, but I couldn't figure all that out. But it, literally by seventh grade, I asked my parents, could I not go back to that religious school by eighth grade? Normally you go K through eight. And I didn't figure that all fully. And I didn't necessarily have the urgency. So I muddled along all the way till freshman year in college. And then a tragedy happened. And it was to someone very near to me. And um, it made me really go deeper and start to get some answers to questions like, where was God, you know, when, or why do bad things happen to good people? And I didn't understand necessarily the term good people that all of us are sinners before God. But um, I started to ask tougher questions. And fortunately for me, again, blessing comes in people, not necessarily things. The blessing came in the form of my, my spiritual mentor, which is a guy named Dwight Bullock at my college. And so when I'm asking where was God when this young child died, which is the tragedy that happened, um, he said, and it, and it struck me like a thunderbolt. When I asked where was God when this kid died, he said, same place he was when his son died. Still Lord of Lords, still King of Kings, and still sitting on the throne. Now let's talk about it. And he got me out of religion and into the Bible. And he got me to know who Jesus was, not what religion was. And, and Jesus is totally different than, than religion. And uh, that started a, a faith journey that has just uh, progressed. And, and it's a never-ending one, and I'm still learning. Uh, but I get the privilege, Dwight, who's gone on to be a, a missionary in, in Chile and um, been all over the place, literally just few days ago, he's back in town um, just on a stateside visit, and I get to have coffee with him just down Manchester Road here. And mm -hmm. so that is just God smiling and saying, these are the people I'm putting in your life. And so for us, that's the same thing. It, these young people need other people. They don't, they don't necessarily need things. They need, they need people who love them.
Hmm. So we, uh, it's almost like grace, you know, we're, we know how to love other people because we were first love. And, and part of it is figuring out that how much he did love us, that he died for us, that he rose, he broke through history with raising from the dead. And, and, um, so for both of us, we were blessed with, um, a, a great faith journey. And Chrissy comes from a family that likewise broke through religion and got in a relationship with Jesus. And even though all eight of those kids that are in her family and her mom and dad, her mom probably has brought more people to Christ than most pastors. She's had a coffee table ministry. Um, <laughs> I call it her, her kitchen table ministry that again, the ruffian, the, the, the wayward soul is usually ends up at their table and, and just a gradual process. Let us teach about who Jesus is and he'll, he and the Holy spirit will do the rest. Hmm. So is, um, there anything that's just a, a meaning, any a part of your routine that's just really meaningful, helping you to stay focused um, when it comes to your, your walk with God and just your service unto God? You know, just yeah. well, part of it is I think we've learned the value of service too and and community. So we're not the typical people who necessarily um, are home a lot. Um, we are out and about now our kids are all grown and even the two that we have now one full-time state or not full-time but he's on campus for the most of the time or at a local university and the other one commutes there so we don't have a need to be in our home so our routine is um i do youth group on wednesday nights i usually facilitate a class on a monday night um i go to a networking thing on thursday nights and so for me the routine is making sure i am with people Hmm. Um, now wow. we, we need some downtime and we do get that when we can, but we also, so we have Saturday and Sunday services at our church, the crossing and volunteer even there. Um, so part of it is being, being, it's easier for God to, to move us when we're already moving a little bit. If we're stationary, it's harder to get somebody moving. Well, we're, we pretty much know our, uh, our pathway and it's through serving with young people um, in our churches, uh, outreach, thing, anything we can do. So that's, that's a routine. It's a stage of life we're in, but we started doing that at even a, at a young age. And our kids, here's one of the things we talk to parents is they, they might have trouble with their teenagers and say, Oh, we wish they had, they understood faith more and they were into faith. And we would ask them apart from talking faith to your kids, are they seeing it lived out? And is it a priority in your time? And, and so we can say one thing and, but Kids happen to see what we're doing, not what we're saying. Uh, they don't listen as well, but they, they are observant. So um, anyway, that's that's our routine these days. But t- to your point, I think, you know, one of the, the struggles for any of us is also having quiet alone time um, with God. And, and, and fortunately, he, the, there's technology, things like, um, I don't know if you know Hoopla, it's a an app from the St. Louis County Library. Okay. I am constantly listening to either the Bible or or really good, deep spiritual books that even as I'm driving or even whenever I have quiet time so that I have some time with him and he can speak to me in those times too. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of interesting how you answered my question because that's kind of what I was thinking about, like spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible, stuff like that. Yeah. And it's interesting that you answered it first, like about being with people um, but, um, it's kind of interesting to me because I think that, um, well, I wonder if like service unto God and that connection with people is a means of 
connecting with God. It's a and, pathway. Just yeah. to, And for my wife, for instance, though, one of her spiritual pathways is literally the, her downtime is best spent in nature. She is this phenomenal. She could tell you every bug, snake, bird, whatever. I mean, she is, she's observant. She's observant of God's creation. And for her, it brings her great joy and great peace. So when she needs her downtime, it's a hike in the woods. And, and not, you know, I like to go with her at times, but, but it's good for her to just be alone. And mm-hmm. we, we do value that and we, we get it, um, greatly. So, um, yeah, your point's well taken. And, and those are the, what we, we understand what are our best ways to connect with God. But, for instance, some of the small group things and things that I facilitate typically are either book studies or Bible studies as well. And so that allows me time in a smaller group to have reflection, which also requires private, your own reading for it and prep time. So, um, you know, so when, anyway. When you're just with a, another person and you're wanting God to be working through you, is there anything that you're keep trying to keep in mind, um, like uh, – as far as like the the way you're connecting with that person or how you want to use your time most effectively and so forth? I, I think our goal, uh, and I, I might've mentioned this earlier is um, our goal is um, to be a reflection of who Jesus is. So Jesus didn't come down and necessarily try and fix everybody. He just tried to point people to his father in heaven and, and to understand the characteristics. So, um, I would say that's our goal is, and and my wife is far better at it than I, for instance. And I go back to a point I talked about earlier is um, empathy and listening skills are far better in people relationships and pointing people to Jesus than they are trying to fix them right away. So I see that play out in when we're facilitating doing Bible studies or you're doing a small group. In, invariably, if you've got six people or so around a table, somebody there wants to fix the, the person who's seeking, you know, right off the bat. And it's like, we have to think back to our own, how did God woo us? And it was really the Holy Spirit doing it. So we're sometimes better to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit, who's far better at this, do his job. Then, but, but if we're a good reflection of it, when it's all said and done, that's probably the best thing we can do. Not, um, not necessarily beat people over the head with the Bible, but live it out. Mm-hmm. And, and let them see it rather than uh, – they need to hear it as well, but but make sure there's a proof test on, on our actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the idea of listening, um, I like that. Um, I'm involved in a jail ministry with the county jail. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, sometimes it's, um, it's hard to get anything out of them. It's not a real personal type of thing. It's through a little monitor when you go and visit someone. Mm-hmm. But answers are very short, and it's, you know, sometimes uh, you have different people. Some people are just dying for, you know, the opportunity just to spill everything out and everything. But I'm just wondering about people who are very quiet if um, they just don't have anything to say or if it's just they're hesitant or yeah. I guess it's hard to Yeah, you know. but again, uh, I, I watch Chrissy, my wife, listen so well and yeah. and and these young people particularly have a lot of things on their heart and yeah. and that's why the bond is so deep because they know she takes the time to listen right so. that's neat are there any um thing that's been influential in your life as far as uh, particular books um or yeah. You, yeah. absolutely um you know I'll say people side for the last, but yes, books are obviously once Dwight got me out of religion and into the Bible, 
that's a never-ending process. <laughs> that it's just uh, you're gonna discover new things there every day. So hmm. good, it's good to be back in there. But I would say, particularly most recently, um, um, I've been reading. Oh, first of all, a few years ago, I started reading Bob Goff, Love Does, and Everybody Always, hmm. um, and he helps simplify the gospel in this respect. Is uh, Bob even had a phrase? He says, "I've done so many Bible study groups. I'm I'm, I'm at the stage of life. I need the Bible doing groups." So if you got some Bible doing groups, I'm, I'm all in. Um, I think there's a need for both, but, but it, it particularly what we're doing is we could sit around and, and say, we're going to just do Bible studies, but we're not necessarily solving and addressing some of the core issues in our, in our world. And I think God wants us, particularly Christians involved in those, not just sitting inside a church talking about them. He wants us going to be him out in Jesus and skin out in the world. Um, and, and most recently, I would say the books of N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope and Surprised okay. by uh, Scripture, hmm. um, have have been influential. And then one that probably is most closely tied to a seat at the table. I would, any, and we're going to almost we're going to try and make this required reading for a host parent. And it's called a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, hmm. and um, by Rosario Butterfield. And um, <laughs> it, it's an extraordinary story from a woman who was. Uh, at best agnostic, maybe even an atheist before this, uh, and now lives a, uh, her, that's the phrase I used a minute ago. I think it was radically ordinary hospitality that God, Jesus calls us to a different level of hospitality than just somebody who's socially minded in a social mm-hmm. sense. And that book, um, had a huge, and I don't want to credit Ashley Johnson, who's a young person in our, um, who grew up in our youth group at church and is now a young adult volunteer. And she mentioned that, uh, ages ago or a few months ago, I mean, and, and we read it and oh my gosh, it's, it's like spot on to what we're trying to do here. And so it, it's, um, yeah, this is a different, the seat at the table is, um, asking a different level of hospitality and that book will help. Um, and it's biblically rooted. I mean, this, this lady is a, um, she's advanced this Rosario Butterfield, the author, um, for someone who up in, she was literally a teacher, I think at a, uh, Eastern uh, Syracuse or someplace like that. And so she was pretty much on the social, um, liberal and, and, um, um, agnostic to atheist end of the scale. Um, she is as deep biblically as, as you can get, but she really does a great job of, putting that in everyday terms and what they, she and her husband have done in terms of radically ordinary hospitality. I'll let you read it, but it, it does play out really well. Concerning hospitality, um, is, is that something mainly that like a home type of thing, or is it like an attitude you might carry with you wherever you're, you're good, at? Good point. And this, let me give you an example. Um, when I'm in a lobby at a church or something like that, and there are, I know lots of people at our church um, I think it ex- it impacts me in that I try not to use the time to talk to people I already know. I try and go find somebody who's maybe new, who's got that deer in the headlight look, and doesn't you can tell they don't know where they're going. Um, yeah, it influences. Uh, for, here's another example: we we lived in Cincinnati for 11 years, uh, 89 through year 2000. When we came back to St. Louis, even though it was our hometown, and we moved, uh, we both grew up in North City, North County area, uh, Jennings and Berkeley. Then we moved out to West County. Uh, when we came back after being gone for 11 years, we were now those kind of strangers. You know, if one of the strengths of St. Louis is also one of its weaknesses. We have these longtime neighborhoodish kind of families. But 
we didn't realize until we got back here. It's like, if you're not from here, oh, you're not fr- the, the proverbial, uh, where did you go to high school question? That kind of is a, uh, a flag saying we, we like to pigeonhole people. And so we kind of try and fight against that. And so if there's somebody new in our neighborhood or there's somebody new at our church or there, we try and have that spirit of hospitality, like immediately there. It doesn't mean just necessarily into our home. It's, can we go to lunch afterwards? Can we go to have a coffee? Um, can we just talk in the lobby of the church? Can we, wherever it is, school, work? Um, yeah, it, it's, it has to, it, to us, it's always on. Um, so. I, I heard someone say before that love's not, not conventional or not necessarily conventional. And, uh, just as you're talking, I'm just thinking and, you know, sitting in like a waiting room or something like that, it's not really conventional just to strike up a conversation (laughs) with a stranger, (laughs) Yeah, but maybe it's something that, um, you know, an opportunity or or something along those lines. Yeah. I, and it's one of the things, here's the other half of that is when we move back here, uh, even from a business sense, I've been in sales and marketing most after I taught for six years of high school English and journalism, then went uh, into the more of the sales and marketing world. Um, even though I developed a good network up in Cincinnati, and that's, you know, the whole Ohio Valley, Cincinnati, Columbus, Dayton, Louisville, Lexington, Indy. When I came back to St. Louis now, I had to kind of like uh, reestablish because when I went out of St. Louis, I wasn't in sales beforehand. Now I had to uh, really kind of reintroduce myself to a lot of people or get on the radar here. So I've been a um, very, uh, very involved with a lot of networking groups. And part of my joy in going to those is not necessarily from a business standpoint, but it's to meet new people and help. I go now more to, I can almost, you can spot the, you know, the first timer you can, you know, they're over in a corner, they're hiding. They, they, you can tell they don't know how to introduce themselves, to introduce themselves to stranger. I, I just kind of have fun going over and introducing myself and helping them feel more comfortable because that's, that's traumatic. It's almost like public speaking or those kind of things. Uh, people don't do those kind of things very well. So. But for me, it's fun to help take them under a wing, introduce them to other people, and the next thing you know, then they feel comfortable, and that's a good outcome. Hmm. Well, that's neat. Yeah. Um, I know we're kind of like not following our no. <laughs> questions yeah. real well, so if I'm skipping over something that you would, um, you know, you, you're really wanting to talk about, well, you, you, you asked about influences, and I'm, I'm yeah. going to continue on that, and that is. Um, yeah, two movies just for fun. Uh, they're both Jimmy Stewart movies. The one is the obvious one and it's, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. Um, just such a redemptive story. Uh, and it, it is very near and dear to our heart. But another one less well known that I would recommend to somebody is you can't take it with you. Okay. And yeah. it's a very kind of eccentric, literally the, the, um, Jimmy Stewart is dating a girl who's House is very eclectic. I mean, everything from a Russian dance teacher to a couple of crazy guys shooting off fireworks in a basement. I mean, they're everything is fun. And it happens to be where Jimmy Stewart's father, a banker, is trying to buy up land for a big development. And so all sorts of complications come about. But the banker ends up knowing the rich Jimmy Stewart's rich dad, the big banker, ends up learning the real meaning of life and about our, our living community and living out a godly life. Um so it's it's an obscure film, but it, it really kind of defines Chrissy and I. Um, think it it parallels our our feelings about life. So you can't take it with you. But the other is the um, the mentors and the people that that I've been blessed with. And again, I mentioned our parents, both sets of parents. Um, but also, 
I was, again, uh, pure blessings. Um, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I played junior league football in Ferguson. Okay, so Ferguson has been in the news for a lot of issues, but I had a different view of it, and it was a, um, a time of way before you had things like select teams, and, and thank God we didn't have those. We were a ragtag group of um, of kids from all backgrounds, um, but we never lost a game in three years. We would travel to Florida and play the best team, and we beat them. So to this day, there's many of us still around the St. Louis area, and we get together. We just a few years ago, um, our football coach, Jack Roche, was uh, in declining health, and we had a reunion, gosh, I don't know, what is that, 40 years later or so, at, at one of those daughter's houses. And, and there was such a sweet spirit. But I look back on Jack and Bob Grenier, one of the assistant coaches, my dad. They, they poured their time and their energy into kids, and it wasn't three guys, you know, like today, so much of sports and, and or coaching is frustrated men living out their lives vicariously through their sons. You know, hmm. they were never a star or whatever, but now they were going to make sure their son. These guys were selfless. They were givers. They, they just taught us how to be better men, young men. And, and yes, we were, and yet we got to win literally every, every single game. Uh, it, it was, you know, unique. It, it couldn't have scripted it. But it had a profound effect on all of us. And, and more than that, we just saw the time, the effort, and and the love even outside of the football field. Um, so, again, these are blessings that uh, didn't deserve, uh, just was given. But if we don't pass them along, shame on us. Uh, I, I couldn't have couldn't have asked for a better. So I, I, I pay attention when someone is, has that spirit of mentoring and, and that is very important to us. And, and so, um, we, those were again, watching Chrissy's mom and dad who have raised a, <laughs> almost a herd, you'd call it with eight kids and 30 some odd grandkids and great grandkids and all that. Um, they just, they're a family that just doesn't know strangers. My parents were the same way. And, and, uh, so those, those things shape, Definitely have most definitely shaped me. You know, when it comes to like relationships, of course, you know, relationships take work. And um, I don't know if to you, like nurturing relationships seems like um, something that, you know, you just like almost a discipline. Um, and then there's, you know, uh, beating its head up against that or, you know, it's like, just um, busyness or just needing to get things done, you know, and just mm -hmm. practical manners of life, uh, matters of life. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that's helpful to you um, when it comes to um, just knowing how to keep your priorities <laughs> right and so forth? This is where, again, God bless me with Chrissy. And, and uh, I'll give you, for instance, <laughs> and I can literally show it to you on my phone here. And, you know, so yes, I, I'm, you spend as many years in the business world as I do. You, you know to show up on time and early and everything revolves around that schedule and you, you meet deadlines and you're schedule driven. Um, but again, I just, when we breathe our last breath, we're not going to be worried about, you know, um, schedules, bank accounts, um, the grade I got on my algebra test. Uh, thank God. Um, those kind of things. We're, we're going to be, um, Knowing we're going to be asking, what did we do with Jesus? Did we accept who he was? Um, and, and did we show, reflect his, his love to others? Um, so Chrissy helps balance me, especially in that, um, if it comes down to making a mistake on either side, either too structured or not structured, she helps nudge me to the, and here's an example. 
uh, last night, uh, one of the young men that uh, is under our purview right now, um, kids working his tail off, working two jobs, uh, plus going to school, uh, to try and make ends meet for himself. And it, but his car happens to be out of commission right now and it's 10:35. I'm about ready to hit the hay. Cause I know I got an early start tomorrow. And he says, Hey, can you drive me to a job at 6 AM up off page? And most people driven by a schedule would say, well, I've got to be at work. I got to do this. I got to do that. And, um, and it was easy. When I, when I look at it and say, you know, which, which is more important, um, helping this young guy or meeting my schedule. And it's after a while you go, you know, now I'm all, I'm, you know, I'm 64 years old and I'm, I'm not necessarily having to report to a corporate office anymore. So it's a little easier. So I'm going to, there's probably people listening to this going, yeah, that's easy. For, um, but we've got a pretty much a, a track record of when it came down to those kind of things. If we're going to air and we are going to all air better to air on the side of, helping people then meeting our schedules. And again, I have to fight that daily. So there's a bunch of my friends who, who do too. And, and we're all in therapy to get, no, we're not. I'm just saying, but we need to be sometimes. Um, we are, and, and again, I've, I've got good friends who, um, and others, we know we've, we've taken work and deadlines and schedules so seriously. And, and in a way that's being a good steward, we're trying to be responsible. And I get that, but, when you build up a reputation of, of doing good work, and there's usually grace for, hey, but today I got to go help somebody. And so I may not make that meeting or I may not make my schedule. Um, you know, part is, part of it is how hard are we working? And, and I, I don't think anybody's going to accuse us of not working too hard. We, I, I don't lack the hours I put in places. Yeah. So. Well, I have noticed that you, um, you seem very, um, efficient like um with your schedule and just that's the impression i get so is that helpful to your life and to your your service and just for fruitfulness i, I am life? i try to be fairly organized in terms of yeah my schedule and i keep it about three different places and and i think i do that more though to be dependable to other people i don't do it as an obsession right. for myself um i don't like disappointing and one of the things we have to constantly impart to these young people we take in is the importance of being where you're supposed to be on time and, and for a schedule because employers going to need that. Your family's going to need that. Um, and so it's a balance though. Mm-hmm. I, I would just say we need to balance that. And, and it doesn't hurt to back up and talk about it and say, you know, I, I know there's been times in my life when I've been overly hyper focused on that and I can feel the tension in my kids or family. It's like, okay, chill, back off <laughs> and don't. Um, but, for efficiency's sake, in, for instance, now heading up a uh, seat at the table, you know, our board and, and people, our donors, they need to see accountability. And, and I can't shirk that just for the sake of, well, I'm going to just have some fun today or do whatever. I, you know, so I, it's a balance. Right. I try. You know, um, when it comes to our faith and with the, the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection being the center of it, I know there's comfort in that and just the forgiveness of sins and that, mm-hmm. you know, is the foundation of everything being accepted by God. But, you know, l- lately I've been thinking about how that, that, that gospel account is something like for meditating on and, um, having an impact on our, our life, um, maybe in ways of, uh, just, you know, like our example or like taking up our cross or so forth. Is that, um, 
been meaningful to you in any way, um, any particular way that comes to mind? You know, very in this respect, it's everything. Um, <laughs> if, as Paul says, you know, if 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 the resurrection didn't happen, we're fools, uh, and and but I don't believe we are. I think there's evidence both from believers and non-believers. There's eyewitness accounts, um, uh, and I've like a lot of really good, I think, experienced Christians. We've spent a fair amount of time studying that issue, and we believe it with all the, our being. Um, but it's everything, and in this respect, also, it's. Um, we also don't view it as just something that happened and now we just hang on and then we'll all go to heaven. We have a role to play in when you, when you look at that. I would encourage everybody to go back and look at the Lord's prayer. When he says "Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that implies we have a job to do here to help bring his kingdom back to, to help be a part of that. And we're going to continue doing good work in after this life for him and with him. Um, so we should be busy doing that and, and we need to reflect that. So I, it's, it's everything to me. I don't think we're here as an accident. I don't, I, and there are people, unfortunately, who view that we are just molecules and atoms and things that crawled up out of amoebas that crawled up out of, I, I, I even if, even if that were true, there had to be somebody designed that. That would be like implying if there wasn't, it's like, it, it, I'm thinking that my laptop right here uh, is a result of, a, of, of an explosion in a plastic factory. That just doesn't happen that way. And we are far more complex and far more beautifully designed than, than that laptop. Our brains process things that a computer will never get close to. There is a designer behind all that, and it means everything to me. It's what drives us. I, we're, if this was just as an earthly achievement game or just too good for the sake of doing good, um, uh, I, I don't, I don't, that doesn't last an eternity and, and this does. And so, yeah, to us, the, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection are the whole ball game. It's yeah. everything. Well, Bob, um, this is a question I often ask. And, um, if you could go back to some earlier time in life and, um, you know, help yourself exp understand something you needed to understand back then, um, to, to what point would you go and what would you say to yourself? It's, it's to the many instances, and, and again, it's, we've already hit upon it, to the many instances when I, I don't listen as well as I should, and, and I try and fix and just solve the problem, which is, <laughs> it's a, seems to be a fairly common trait to men, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, and it's, it exists in everybody, but I certainly notice it in a lot of, uh, um, males and we're often lousy listeners and i i watch the good that my wife chrissy and and she is not only a pastor but she's finishing up her master's in counseling this may mm -hmm. and and i watch the long-term phenomenal relationships and the depth to which she goes and the people literally end up following her advice so well um but it, it's done mainly by listening not so much uh, preaching and or prescribing mm -hmm. and, and inviting the Holy Spirit in to, to be a part of this. And so those, I, I, there are so many times. And again, uh, words can hurt and they do. And, and, and even if my intentions were well, you know, my intentions were good, um, the manner in which it's delivered or the tone, uh, in sometimes my eagerness to, to solve a problem, 
when you look back, it's like, uh, so those are ones I constantly uh, regret and wishing, but um, I can, the Lord has blessed me with her to, to help temper me and step on my foot, kick me under the table, do whatever is necessary. Uh, and she does it lovingly, but man, it's um, would that we were all paired that well together to, to, um, to again, to glorify him. The question she'll always ask me is, did that collectively to both of us, did we reflect who Jesus was in our, in our response? And so that's the, to us, the constant challenge. And I don't think we're going to run out of this at the rate we're going with who we're inviting in and what situations we come across. So I'm going to have a lot to practice. Yeah. So is um, there anything um, that we haven't kind of touched upon that you want to make sure that we, you know, include in this conversation? Gosh, I, again, it, it all comes down, it all comes down to Jesus. He, um, we're not here as an accident and our job is to reflect and glorify him. So I hope and pray that becomes a priority for everybody. We've got a practical way for people to kind of live that out. And it, yes, it does probably require some radically ordinary hospitality, but we'll, we're never going to perfect it. But boy, if, if God hadn't bothered to come into our mess, you know, um, where would we be? So we, we I, it's one of the things, um, I think people ask, uh, why do we do what we do or how do we do it? And we go, I think we just do messy better than most. We, we don't expect the situations to be perfect. We're, we live in a broken world since Genesis 3 on. It's been a broken world and we don't expect perfection. We just, we're willing to brush up, I think, against situations and, and be closer to, to tougher situations. And, and we just, but we were given a great gift to go do that. And so we must, it's, it's our calling. Well, thank you, Bob. This has been really good. I'm excited about your ministry. You. It seems really good, too. And uh, My just appreciate your time. Thanks, Will. A new conversation is published each week. If you would like to do something for me, share conversations about life with someone else who might enjoy it. Or leave a review on iTunes. If I can do something for you, feel free to contact me. My email address is will at willjackson.com. Until next time, farewell. Farewell.